we're back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Going back into the New York Film Festival selection and reviewing probably the biggest name to come out of the uh, the New York Film Festival, at least as far as what Toronto and Venice, two of the big four film festivals, have told us thus far. We are talking about Nomadland today, written, directed, and edited by Chloe Zhao, who uh, did The Writer, uh, which we also reviewed here in years past. It stars Frances McDormand, herself a two-time Oscar winner from, of course, Fargo and a couple years ago with her work in three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. This was the centerpiece film of the New York Film Festival, so uh, we're probably a little bit early in reviewing this ourselves. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also Mike. So I upgraded my New York Film Festival viewing experience. I took this over to my parents. My brother and my parents watched this with, with me. We called it our fat family dork movie night. And <laughs> it was... Google Chromecasted. Mike, it was perfect. It was like watching a pristine new release uh, that I bought off of Amazon or something. So I was thrilled with that experience. It was the strangest movie to watch with my family. And my parents are in their 60s, and they just kept wondering about if they took to the nomad life. And I just kept, you know, thinking about us two never being able to do any of this. So it's another one of those. This movie should have been called, But for the Grace of God, Go I. That should have been the title of this movie, because that's exactly, I mean, I think that's one of the effects of it, too, is that you kind of just think about yourself in Francis McDormand's shoes. And we're going to get into the aspects of all of it. So Chromecast worked for you. Worked like a charm. Let's start there. Worked like a charm casted uh, Night of the Kings before it. We, we did a double feature, the strangest double feature, but it was Night of the Kings, Nomadland. I can't wait to do this more often for the next five films I have in this festival and for other festivals in October that are coming down the pike, too. And, and this will be playing at Middleburg, I think, virtually as the opening night film, October 15th, by the way, folks. And you can get that uh, those tickets online uh, pretty soon. I know you can buy the big ticket package for 150 bucks, mm. so... That's available too, and That's, I may or may not have bought that this morning at five in the morning. Well, I was going to say, yeah, one fifty isn't for a full full film festival experience online is not that outrageous compared to what we would end up spending if you did the entire New York film festival slate online as well. Uh, mm-hmm. I tried to do the Apple equivalent of Chromecast, and I tried to airdrop this. I tried to hook it up to my Apple TV through an HDMI cable. For whatever reason, it was playing fine on my laptop, and it just was not getting to my TV without buffering, buffering, buffering. So I could not do it. I ended up watching this. Uh, I was also alongside my mother, ironically enough. I ended up watching this on our, uh, my laptop. We just like huddled around it like in the olden days. I don't know which olden days those would be specifically, but uh, it was just two people watching a laptop. And you're right. This is a bizarre one to take in with a close family member. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, yeah, we're going to get into it, and uh, we're going to be mostly non-spoilers, but there's a, one particular spoiler that's re- in an unspoilable movie, essentially, that we have yeah. to talk about, and I need you to go into detail about your mother's reaction to that scene <laughs> but yeah mike this this movie is doing uh gangbusters at the fall film festivals right now yeah, it won sure. the venice golden lion it won the tiff audience award it did not win the golden shell at san sebastian that happened yesterday as we're recording that went to the georgian film beginnings while the uh the father with anthony hopkins and your nemesis olivia coleman that took home the Son audience award <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, it's still playing really well at all these fall film festivals. It's got a couple more that it's going to still play at. Metascore is as high as we have ever seen, Mike. 98. 
98 Metascore, 8.2 IMDb audience, 98% on Rotten Tomatoes on 83 reviews thus far. These scores are through the roof. Never mind it, I think it's the first film ever to win both the Golden Lion and the Grolsch Audience Award at Toronto, being the best film at both Venice and Toronto to the Big Four, like yeah. I said at the top of the show. So, I, I, I mean, this thing is, in a year of 2020 where we don't have anything, we're still getting a movie that's kind of being record-breaking in its own way, if nothing else. And because of that, in combination with the barren landscape it is, we're dealing with a bona fide Best Picture contender, certainly, I think, just based on the precursors and how it's gone so far so we will dive right into it like you said this will be a non-spoiler review for the most part but it's not really possible to spoil this film anyway uh here's the plot premise follows a woman in her 60s who after losing everything in the great recession embarks on a journey through the american west living as a van dwelling modern day nomad so this is kind of full circle for me as a film critic because I really got movie crazy just before and just after the Great Recession because we were in college, coming out of college in yeah. 2008. I don't know if I ever told the story. I was in that class with your brother and it was a finance class mm-hmm. and the, the the banks shit the bed that day in October and everything was crashing and the finance guy was so excitedly telling us about history we're living through and then realized he was talking to a classroom full of sen- college seniors mm. and he's like, well, it's bad for you guys. But historically, this is amazing. I have tenure. Go fuck yourself, right. everybody. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. That's, uh, yeah, that's bad perspective uh, yeah. from a guy who's supposed to help you in that moment of time. <laughs> uh, listen, I, I think there's a lot to of baggage everybody can bring into this. I think this is a, a quarantine movie or this is a, a movie that is affected by everybody's quarantines out there. I think this is a, a film that speaks to an upcoming or at least the fears of another great recession, Mike. And I yeah. think, uh, I think like we said at the beginning, like you have to put yourself in, in this person's shoes and you have to say, can I do that? If, I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know about you. I am not an outdoorsman. I am not a camper. I cannot live very long without a shower being an Italian man and let the stereotypes fly. <laughs> That's fine. I take a lot of showers and I'm, I'm proud of that fact. So I could never, never live like this. No, I, I, I mean, look, can I shit in a bucket to get by? Yeah, sure, we've all been there. No, I, I, I don't think I would be able to. It's an interesting litmus test, and there's certainly some sort of relatability at the core of this movie, because this is a good movie. I mean, we'll get that out of the way, too. I mean, this is there's something about this movie that's alluring and appealing, and it's done in a very grand way and my god some of the shots and we'll get into all the specifics about the production itself but it's a good movie it's a good watch overall and there's is definitely something at the heart of this of can you do this and if it all goes to shit you know pardon the pun can you do what francis mcdormand's character is doing in this and it's heightened by the fact that there are actual nomads that share the screen with her in this movie, much like when Chloe Zhao did The Writer and she was using, I guess the term would be non-actors there, she uses actual people that live on the land here and actual nomads to share the screen with Francis McDormand and David Stratham here. It's insane to me, and we, we're going to have to get into it in more detail coming up, but I think uh, I think the fact that there's only a couple actors, a couple of paid actors, well, I, I hope, hopefully they're all paid. Hopefully that made, right. that made their uh, <laughs> nut for the for the season when they got paid for this. They bought a new trailer, a new van, and gave right. it a new name, for Christ's sake. But, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think uh, 
I, th- I think that adds a lot of gravitas to this movie when you research, and that's what I was doing all morning. It's based on the book Nomadland, Surviving America in the 21st Century, Mike, by Jessica Bruder, and she also lived the nomad life. She basically hmm. went and followed the characters in this movie, played by the actual people that she followed back oh, when wow. she wrote the book. So the nomads in the book are the nomads in the movie, and she followed them for three years, taking all of the same jobs at Amazon, the seasonal jobs at uh, at the Wall Drug, etc. And she basically lived as a nomad, this journalist. And she wow. told the real story. And then I guess when Francis McDormand and Chloe Zhao decided to adapt this story, they tracked them down. They tracked all these same people down. And the coolest thing is if you watch like the uh, two-minute Telluride premiere clip, right, on YouTube, where they had the uh, Rose Bowl premiere of the film, drive-in movie premiere of the film, there's a <laughs> bunch of vans parked amongst all the rest of the people, and they give like you know honking uh, applause to these nomads huh. who showed up and are doing the Q&A thing and they're getting their pictures taken by the paparazzi it is bizarre but it's one of those feel good stories surrounding this movie one of those unstoppable narratives mike surrounding this movie that reminds me of boyhood reminds me a little bit of roma in terms of the personal narrative there i think that's going to have legs this award season so i i think you know when you said before you're right i mean people have to put themselves in these characters shoes it's it's you cannot not think about it and for film critics like this is the like we would be the first to die in this lifestyle we would not (laughs) survive at all it's like they have to do non-stop manual labor and you know you can hear the you know the bougie trembling in my voice when i when i think about this and we can't watch movies and we have to just rough it it's never it would never happen so i i just can't believe i can't believe chloe zhao decided to make this move for her kind of third movie in the cinema verite hybrid trilogy that's basically her making you know these documentary films and and lightly fixing them to a narrative here so guys this is one of those movies that it's i've already started listening to the book on audible bought it this morning a couple hours in go on youtube and do you know do a couple videos there if you didn't watch the social dilemma and you're not afraid of uh you know clicking on on youtube by the way that's a terrifying documentary speaking of documentaries (laughs) the uh, ai is out to get us anyway but yeah we're all going to have to be nomads. Is the, the you don't have to worry about AI if you do live on the land like these nomads anyway. So, uh, But uh, that's a fascinating backstory about... Uh, I did not know this was... I didn't even know this was an adapted, to be honest with you. I, I knew very little about this movie going into it. But all right, so let's talk about what Chloe Zhao did, and uh, we'll talk about the script thoughts and the overall composition of the movie. Mike, what'd you think? So not only are the characters, you know, the true people that live this situation mm-hmm. uh, with Jessica... Uh, Bruder there, but all of like the landmarks and all of the settings are are true to life as well. The Rubber Tramp Rendezvous, the RTR, which while Jessica was out being a nomad as a journalist, had maybe, you know, 50 people in vans, maybe 50 rigs as they called it, now is like this huge convention the Skillshare convention, Mike, where they're teaching one another on how to live, you know, life on the road as nomads. It's over 500 rigs strong uh, the last time I, I, I checked it. So it, it's crazy how this, this is, there's so much truth here. But you get the real Amazon factories. Amazon allowed them to 
film in their factory like that? I was surprised. And then you get the real ruins of Empire Nevada and then all the spots on the road. I mean, Chloe Zhao takes this road trip movie literally on the road and we're taking a tour of America. We're not just in South Dakota, although we are in the Badlands for a little bit, like her first two films. But I, mm-hmm. I'm just so impressed with the scope of this production, which couldn't have been very large in terms of budget or anything no right so no. i mean it, it's it's really making a lot it's maximizing again as she did in the, her first two films and i just watched songs my brother taught uh, brothers taught me a couple days ago uh, she's always been good by the way so if you if you want to you know watch another good film watch the writer watch songs my brothers taught me uh, chloe zhao, zhao is three for three i mean she's excellent yeah this this is very reminiscent of the writer when you watch it in the way that she uses some establishing shots and she wants to get into setting in the background and all that. And it also, I mean, it just, I don't know how you cannot wonder about what she's going to do provided a budget probably a hundred times more bigger than what she's been working with historically when we actually get to see her uh, put the the Eternals on screen, and we see what she does in the MCU. So How? I'm fascinated to see that. Right? How is she going to yeah. go from Cinema Verite, basically taking Bob right. Wells and Linda Blair and Charlene Swanky, the real nomads, and she's filming right. them to the point where, like, I don't know if she does take after take David Fincher style, or she basically just has has them riff, or she's you know shoots some. I would think it. Ha- I was thinking about that. It has to be the latter because. Normal people, like, I understand everyone likes the idea of being in movies, but if you're not a trained actor, you're not going to... I would think your takes get worse the more you have to be... The pressure gets on you and you get uncomfortable because you're not used to being on a set. I would think it have to be more so they just... You, you get what you get and you let them riff, and then you use what you can. So I can totally attest to what you're saying because... I thought I was Vittorio De Sica. You know, we all studied Bicycle Thieves, <laughs> you know, in film school. And I thought I was him coming out of it. And I cast, you know, of course, my family and friends mm-hmm. in all my movies. And some of them, if they're listening now, they'll, they'll guess it's the other person. But they were awful, <laughs> just terrible actors. I'll tell my brother. My brother John was probably the worst because he was just like, hi. It's yeah, just yeah, so forced. So Again, that terrible. feels... That feels right, knowing what I know about him. <laughs> so I this I just think you get that performance so much more often than you get right. a person who's just comfortable and just you know, lets their hair down exactly. and actually you know is convincing. So it, absolutely, especially these people impossible. living this isolationist lifestyle that they're accustomed to, and now they're being forced to do it on camera. It's a credit to them just being there, and it's a credit to obviously to Chloe Zhao for making them comfortable enough to to get the performances she does get. Bob Wells did a book review. The, the old guy with the beer who, who runs the RTR, the Rubber Tramp Rendezvous, he does mm-hmm. a book review of Nomadland on YouTube, Mike. And he was more convincing in the movie to me than he went when he oh, was wow. trying to give this book review. So, again, this is some kind of insane talent that uh, Chloe Zha has to get these people at ease in front of the camera, just living their lives. It's, it must be the talent of a documentarian. And I'm surprised she has not made a documentary yet, but it's, it's one of those things. And it, and it's why this movie's going to have that boyhood effect, that Roma effect, right. I think, because the more people delve into this, uh, they're going to get a taste of the real thing or realize it's the real thing. And it's one of those things where, you're just like blown away that this is in, in fact real. It's not just a based on a true story kind of story. I mean, this is a year in the life of a nomad, essentially. It's right. It's and, and I guess that's you know the next angle I think we should talk about. Like this is not the rider. This is not a road trip movie. This is not 
you know, point A to point B kind of a film. And I think when, you know, I, I thought of movies like this, I, I would think of Leave No Trace or I would think of Nebraska or I would think of, uh, what's another one, uh, Wild or Into the Wild, right? And you have mm. a destination and you have a, you know, a, a journey that has to, is more like a quest. This is not that at all. No. This is a no. documentary about nomads. This is once upon a time in Hollywood, the nomad story. Like this is a day in the life, basically, or just how to be in the moment of living this type of lifestyle, essentially. I mean, I, I mean it's not a. It's it's kind of also a buddy movie too. In the there's a couple main friends that that the character Fern has to deal with and the struggles with them along the way. Uh, that's Fern is Francis McDormand's character, but yeah, this is definitely not something. It is a journey in a way, and we find out that right. uh, without spoiling anything, but. I, when you're watching the majority of the film, you don't know that. You don't realize what that is. So, yeah, it's definitely more of just a kind of a snapshot of Americana in that way. And if you think you're getting a film about hippies, it's really not a film about no, hippies at all. at all. It's more about poverty. And that's why I think it's going to speak to the times in a way. And, and that's... That's why I'm surprised Amazon let them into their real factory. Because, I mean, yes, these people are, are seasonal workers for Amazon. It doesn't shine a great light on that, on the on the corporate structure at all, obviously. I mean, it's kind of because of corporations shutting down that these people are kind of forcing this lifestyle to begin with in some ways. At least some of them. Right. Some of them choose to do it, etc. But there's certainly that aspect to this film, and that surprises me that Amazon would be so willing to open their doors and actually take part in that story. You know, from their perspective, I wonder if they're rationalizing it as, you know, hey, we hire this workforce in mass for a yeah, season. maybe. And, you know, that's better than them not being hired. I, I don't know. I don't want to take the corporate stooge you know, route there because they're causing the problem that they're also helping to solve. <laughs> right, and oh right. my God, my head's going to explode. As any good corporation does, right? <laughs> right. But look, this movie, I mean, it works narratively in like vignettes, I would say, or in short stories. And it's, it's episodic in a way. And it kind of breaks your heart once every 30 minutes. So whenever yeah. a movie does that, I think it's worth a damn or it's worth more than a damn. So I was surprised by the structure, the story structure of this. I didn't, I, I expected it to be like wilder into the wild and I expected to walk through the woods or, you know, dance naked with hippies. I didn't expect, you know, pooping in a bucket. I didn't expect, <laughs> you know, working at the factory. You, there's, 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 there's an underlying resentment both you and I have towards this film because I think we both want to dislike it a lot more than we do, and we do like. I mean, it's a good movie. We do like it quite a bit. But you were funny and texted me last night, and it, it's kind of an amalgamation of both of our thoughts. Like this could be the first Best Picture winner where the protagonist shits, pees, and takes a bath in the nude on screen. She takes all a in one movie. Long piss in a master <laughs> shot. On a blustery day. And then she is surprised by a vigorous shit that she has to take. And luckily, her shit bucket's in the truck. It's probably yes. not her shit bucket. It's probably like, because I mean, one of the perks of being a nomad, right, is you don't have to go to the bathroom. You don't have to shit where you eat. You don't have to sleep where you shit. You don't, you don't have to do that. You can literally go outside anywhere and just squat. And I'm just wondering, like, how, I mean, she's very lucky that that moment happened. Maybe she knew that it was, you know, that's, I guess it's a occupational hazard or a vocational hazard if you're eating, you know, just garbage food like they're eating all the time. Oh. I know. 
I mean, there's so many considerations to, I, I, and I think like, I think the both of us, and this is, again, it's a power to movies because I, I wasn't even aware this lifestyle existed in this country in, in these modern times. So that's the one power to movies, but the other As thing is. As your bidet is just cleaning you from underneath. Right, exactly. <laughs> my golden <laughs> toilet of my tower on high. <laughs> We're never going to be oh. accepted by the mainstream, by the way, because here we are. <laughs> Anyway, but but in all seriousness, like this is what we raved about Little Women doing. This is what we raved about Roma doing. When you can see a movie that you think is impossible for you to relate to, and yet the director or the screenwriter finds a way for you to be completely enveloped by these characters and completely enveloped by their strife and, and finds a way to get down to the base human interaction with it. And it's not an easy thing to do, but when you find a, a director or a screenwriter, in this case, Chloe Zhao obviously is both, that is able to do that. That's what makes, I think, an awards caliber movie. And I've had the longest time, I've been struggling all the last probably 12 hours trying to figure out why this is an awards caliber movie and I thought it was just because of the desolation of 2020 but maybe I I could see it I'm starting to understand now the idea of it she had the audacity to tell the story efficiently by showing Francis McDormand drop and drow and for 30 seconds showing the ugly side and then the unglamorous side and the non-romanticized side of this lifestyle and i don't think you get that in other films like wild reese witherspoon's looking beautiful for two hours and can you imagine if they showed reese witherspoon pooping She walks through the woods for, you know, 60 minutes of that film. And Ben Foster walks through the woods for 60 minutes of his film. And, Mike, we have to gradually learn how rough and tumble that lifestyle is. Right. In this movie, I mean, we just get such small, clear examples of why this is so difficult. My God. And I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if that's part of the allure of Frances McDormand to this script in the first place, because we know how much she wants to just shatter stereotypes and conventions as to what, you know, a female character is supposed to do and what boxes they're supposed to fit in. So I really wouldn't be surprised if that kind of authenticity was something she highlighted in in any kind of award speech we get from her. None of the boxes that I thought this film would fit in, you know, fit this film at all. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's fascinating. Uh, We'll bookend this conversation with some more performance talk in a minute, but I did want to touch on some of the production values here. The magic hour cinematography that uh, Chloe Zhao is is known for and her uh, DP, Joshua James Richards, of all of her movies, plus God's Own Country, and he's going to do Eternal. So how he goes from this to a Marvel movie, I'm just shocked again. But this is like visual therapy from Chloe Zhao oh in so many ways. I love the cinematography of each one of these movies. Her first movie as well that I just watched the other day and The Rider, we were raving, gushing mm-hmm. about the Badlands on screen. Like, and We've never seen anything like it. So uh, just, you know, one of those guerrilla filmmaking styles or guerrilla filmmaking imperatives to go into nature. And if you can't, if you don't have the money for a big set and make, you know, something larger than life, then go out and shoot God's own country, literally. Yeah, shoot the desert at night. I mean, these Some of these shots were like paintings. They were so beautiful. And this movie relies heavily on the montage. Mm-hmm. And part of the montage is getting these establishment shots when you see like a single car going down this desolate, sandy road to kind of fill you in on the subtext as well of what's going on in the life of of Fern. And just the shots that you're getting from her are just unbelievable. Heavily edited, too. I mean, these vignettes, these snippets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. uh, Chloe Zhao had to really 
wrangle this one together, which is maybe a reason why the narrative is is sprawling. I mean, the book is sprawling, and and that's the point again. But it's it's heavily edited, and you're right; it's a ton of montage. So I'm wondering if uh, editing is going to be a chance. It's going to have a chance at the end of the day if this movie is really if it has the momentum we think it does. I gotta listen to this score again. Uh, Ludovico uh, Einaldi uh, of Insidious and The Untouchables. I think he had an original score here. It played through the end of the film. I remember being moved by it, but I can't remember a note of it. Did you go score deaf as well? No, I, I had some score. I had some notes that I took. Uh, very piano heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't really get any kind of strings until late in the movie. It's mostly just like single note piano hitting. Uh, for the majority of the film. And then when kind of the revelations start coming, as they do, and the film kind of takes its shape and you realize what's going on in Fern's life, then we get more of a score. And I thought it was kind of impactful in that way. It's like this this woman who's on the run and on the road and constantly moving, and she doesn't really have much to her, so it's a pretty barren and stripped-down score. And then as it gets fuller, her life becomes more complete in mm-hmm. a way. We get a more complete score. And if, if that's what the composer was going for, then all the credit in the world. I thought that was very clever. That is clever, and it fooled me. I, I'm going to have to re-watch this one uh, at some point can't wait to in fact because I'm, I'm just curious on how you know the rest of it played it's just I, I, for whatever reason i'm always score deaf otherwise yeah. mike i mean i think costumes i think production design it's kind of like hey uh there bob wells nomad can we uh <laughs> can we use your rig tomorrow? right <laughs> yeah i don't know the costume maybe they do maybe costumes do get far but it seemed like it was just uh well they fooled know. us let's just put it that way right. they're either the greatest ever or the worst ever because they exactly. didn't really do anything. <laughs> exactly. And we'll never know. They looked the part. They looked the part. <laughs> All right. So the performances here, you know, the main event. Uh, I, I'd like to build up to Francis McDormand if I could because uh, we kind of talked about how the non-actors blew our minds with the performances yeah. they delivered. Swanky in particular, like her giving mm-hmm. those speeches when she talks about the campfire thing. I was just, uh, I was like, <laughs> yeah. it got me. Um the son of David Strathairn is in this. He's a producer on the film, and he's like one of the other fringe actors. He's acted at a few things because of his dad and that career. He's been a producer, mm-hmm. etc. like I said. Peter Spears is an actor-producer, uh, produced Call Me By Your Name, uh, and a bunch of other things as well. So th- those guys were in the movie. Other than that, all non-actors, and it's not just you know the three principal mentors, Mike. I mean, it's the everybody in the the amazon uh factory it's everybody in like the speakeasies and the bars like the makeshift bars for christ's sake it's like there's a shack somewhere and somebody just had it you know played some music there one night and they all gathered i mean it's insane like none of these people act it's 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 crazy to see the caliber of movie you can get from I wonder, too, if Chloe Zhao is ruining filmmaking in a way <laughs> because she gets such consistently it's 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 a totally it, you get wrapped up in it and you're certainly there in the moment. And it's because of the authenticity that these people bring. And so you're surrounded by it. And yet to learn that pretty much all of them are just, quote unquote, regular people that aren't Hollywood types that, that haven't had you know a minute of acting class in their lives. It's fascinating stuff. Now, all that said. Even the David Strathern performance and his son's performance, the majority of this movie 
is just Frances McDormand for the most part. And, and she's left to react to different people, different feelings right. and different things going on around her. And she has the smallest of gestures throughout this movie. I mean, it's a glance. It's the crinkle of a nose. It's, you know, right. the tiniest of movements that she has to just take a scene and just flip it on its head to where you're like, holy shit. Yeah, yeah. she's going along, right, with the person at the motel. But she's really telling her to go fuck herself. Right. <laughs> exactly. Believe that uh, that that's the subtext. And, you know, the little tap on the dog's nose before she leaves. I mean, it's just these are tiny little gestures that make you well up. I mean, cry for Christ's yeah. sake, if I was Bill Murray in a close up right now. I could do it. <laughs> well, I, it doesn't get more of a pro's pro than Frances McDormand, who I think kind of gets criminally overlooked when we talk about some of the best actresses in the game right now, to be honest. She's going for her third, and she's got yeah. a real shot. Like, if this was in last year's category, forget about it. She wins, I think. Well, if it's, I mean, if it's in this year's, you know, I mean, I we don't know what we're getting as far as a complete picture for 2020. This may be a, a, a great shot for her this year, I would, I would argue. I think the only reason not to give it to her, uh, you know, barring somebody else really stepping up, is uh, is that it's her third time. I mean, right? We're gonna exactly. have to see Vanessa Kirby. I think we're gonna see that soon. But I, th- I'm, sh- I am shocked by the, I shouldn't be. I'm shocked by the level of performance she gave here and and the subtlety of it. But I, I got to study it. All right. So that's Frances McDormand. I think we both agree that she's going to be nominated, no doubt about yeah. it, at the very least. The six of the 14 experts on Gold Derby right now have her at number one. So I guess we can finish, Mike, with our Oscar lens on the rest of it because this seems to have a ton of momentum. It seems to be one of those silver linings of this pandemic where we have somebody that's an MMO favorite in Chloe Zha and Francis McDormand, for that matter. But we've been you know, behind her career now for a little bit. And we're pretty happy that if someone's going to, you know, get that grassroots campaign for a smaller movie during this time period, we're glad it's her. I don't know if we're glad that it's this movie and not her previous movie, but we're glad this is happening to her. For picture, 8 out of 15 experts on Gold Derby have it as their number one. And for director, 10 out of 14 experts have it as their number one. Wow. Uh, good for her yeah I would be so I, I, I'm still torn about this movie and I tweeted last night that in a regular year I don't think this would be near best picture I think I, I, I stand by that for the most part still even though I did enjoy it <laughs> even though I'm starting to come around to the reason of it I think if 2020 wasn't as barren as it was I, I think the the depression of 2020 is playing a role in people being more drawn to a movie like this, which makes sense, and I understand it, and because there is such a lack of competition out there, this one has improved chances across the board. I I, I would need convincing mm-hmm. to be told that this would be as much of a slam dunk Best Picture nominee. I mean, it's going to be a Best Picture nominee. We it, it, That's going to happen this year, absolutely, 100%. Any other year, I would need some convincing as to this being such a sure thing to be at the Oscars field at the end of the day at this point. And I would need to be convinced that this would definitely be a Golden Lion winner and a Grolsch winner at this point as well any other year. I, I don't... I mean, do you think this wins the Grolsch over, over what was a Joker last year? I don't know. Well, Grolsch was uh, JoJo and Joker was, oh, Grolsch Gold, was JoJo. Golden I'm Lion, sorry. Yes, but I'm does, sorry. It, does yeah. it win over either of those films last right. year? Over exactly. the big studio movie... 
that, you know, typically these film festivals, if they can get behind it, they like to, right? I mean, right. it's a safer bet. It's, it's, well, I mean, and it's they just want to be more nature. in line with the Oscars, Fine. you know. This movie is, is really capitalizing on the opportunities it's getting right now. And, and I it's of the moment. And I didn't know if there was going to be a grassroots campaign for any film, but we're seeing one here, I think, very specifically, and for a lot of you know, good reasons that I'm, I'm being won over with myself, because I would agree with you. Do I have this as a much higher grade than a Leave No Trace? Which I figured, you know, this time two years ago, it, well, not this time two years ago, but I guess in the expanded calendar it is. Anyway, right. <laughs> when that movie came out, we were like, 100%, it's a critic critics movie. We don't see it getting you know picked for best exactly. picture, right? Of course not, because these movies never get picked for best picture. Right. This seems like a whole different animal, even though it's the same kind of movie, right? Well, it seems like a whole different animal, but I would say, again, I don't know that that feeling's there if 2020 isn't 2020. I mean, it's it's a combination of factors. It's not just that there's a lack of competition. It's also that I think we're desperate to throw ourselves behind a story we can relate to and positive news right. of any kind. And if we have this movie now that's made history and winning the girls and the Golden Lion, well, why not? I mean, let's go. Let's let's get behind it. Let's we, we you know last year we saw how a good narrative can run it all the way through if it's a movie that people enough people like with Parasite that ended up having legs to go all the way through the Oscars and make its own sort of history people like living in the present with hi- and making history that's just something they like to do and tie into that good feeling how desperate we are for any kind of good feeling in 2020 <laughs> I think that's a combination of factors that isn't there every other year and I think this is going to be a beneficiary of the new academy that's starting to you know take power uh, in that voting body, more so than we've seen in the past, and they've been able to uh, to get their votes through with Parasite last year. So, I, I would prefer an artsy, extra fartsy, the fartsiest. <laughs> I would prefer one of these movies over a Green Book, right? I mean, over a sure a, a, every single year, I would. So, yeah. at the at the end of the day, give me an art house film that that overachieves. All the time. So, all right. I think it's it's definitely in the catbird seat right now for director and for picture. Uh, adapted screenplay was not something while watching this movie that I ever thought possible. And then I read what I read about the project, and I'm like, oh my god, this is going to be catnip to this academy to these writers. They're mm-hmm. never going to be able to resist this. And I'm reading the book now, and I can't believe they turned it into this movie. And it's very different in terms of the actual through line because she's a composite character. It's very different narratively. They were just going to make the movie about Swanky with Swanky in it. And then Frances McDormand decided to be a, a composite character. Chloe Zhao wanted to do it. It's She had to rewrite so much. To, to rope it all in, which again, this is it's just high degree of difficulty that I think writers branches love. Yeah, and it it shines a light on a cause that not a lot of people knew about. And I mean, we know how much Hollywood loves fancying themselves the common man, right? I mean, they love doing the common man causes and right. and being being this liberal body that they are. So I think that has that going for it as well, which is going to help its chances in, in terms of both, I would say, script, director, and picture overall. Um, again, I, I feel like I'm talking negatively about it. It's a good movie, and it's certainly worthwhile and certainly worth a watch. I think it's going to be a nomination's juggernaut 
I just don't know that it would be in any other year. Well, that's why an adapted screenplay could be this, if it's even, it's leaving award, you know, for Chloe Zha, right? In her first year getting nominated. And if, you know, there's no runaway in that category, if Mm -hmm. it's even, it's it's leaving with the award, in my opinion. So I just coined that phrase. And um, it's not really me coining the phrase. It's from... (laughs) coach speak about football anyway i think i think it's true i think it's true for this i I think you know everything being the same you know if there's if there's not a runaway movie then you have six seven nominations for this film which is kind of possible and i'm shocked to say that because cinematography all the magic hour stuff they waited for that hour every day Oh my God! Like, what it were paid they off. I mean, it looks beautiful. What were they doing all the other hours? Just being nomads, <laughs> just pooping in buckets, just eating bad food. <laughs> uh, the editing—it's just heavily edited. I mean, this mm-hmm. is, has a lot of skill. It's fast-paced somehow. Uh, again, production design is either the best or the worst. Same with the costumes, <laughs> best or worst. Perfect. It worked. So, I, you know, at the end of the day, I, I wouldn't be shocked. If this got at least five nominations, if not six or seven, I mean, it's it's one of those films that is just going to have a lot of momentum going for it for a while. We'll see yeah. if twenty twenty straightens out. But again, if we're betting on twenty twenty to straighten out, so we get more movies in theaters, so we get more movies in the pool, right? I mean, and that's on. the other part of this is that like not only has twenty twenty been such a barren landscape for film, it's that it might get worse somehow if that's such right. a thing even is even possible. So. Yeah, now it makes a lot of sense that okay, this is still a movie. I mean, this isn't on streaming, right? This is this is playing in in small theaters, right? Am I correct on that? This will play in small theaters, I think. In December, it's not a Netflix movie. It's not Hulu. December fourth, I believe. Okay, and so you know, like I said, it's coming to Middleburg, which is for U.S. Uh, residents. They can buy virtual tickets to that. I'm pretty sure. So you know, I mean, you guys can still watch it early. Uh, you know, I think they're releasing individual tickets on October 6th, 4th, one of those two days. So there's a lot of narratives that add up in this movie's favor because 2020 has been 2020. I agree. I, I, I totally don't agree. think it's, it'd be there in a lot of other years. Now, are we jerks for saying this? You're a jerk, Mike. I, this is the first time I called you a jerk on the show. Of course not. Yeah, you're a jerk for saying so. But I agree with you. So yeah, we're jerks for saying so in a, in a way. But this is also a kind of movie that we typically like to champion now that it's becoming mainstream. Right. Are we secretly right. bitter about that, perhaps? Is this <laughs> just another way to blame ourselves in this situation for being critics that usually have a critics movie and now it's everybody else's movie too? What? We liked it before it was cool. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, probably. Maybe. This is our gem. You don't get to share this gem. Usually that would be the case. This would be a critics movie, and that's probably it, is what I'm saying. Right. Even though the narrative Right, I agree with I agree with that. The narratives are strong with this one, like we we both said. And this is a different pedigree in terms of filmmaker that we know is like mm-hmm. ready to launch and mm-hmm. she's assured that with Eternals. And it's also, you know, potentially a three-time oscar winner now in her in her you know hat trick moment do you think she's paid enough dues (laughs) i think i think one has (laughs) and they both have in 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 my opinion because i mean no i think uh i think if you're referring to chloe ja i think 
yeah, she should have paid enough dues. She's good once, twice, three times. Great movies, excellent films. We've been loving her work for years. You know, Lifetime Achievement Awards after her second film at the Indie Spirits. Are you kidding me? Bonnie Awards. Are you kidding me? This is a wunderkind. She is making movies like nobody else. I mean, like, like you know, Desika did back in 1948. I still had the IMDb page open. I mean, the Werner Herzog type of, of movies here. <laughs> You're right. Herzog may be, a great, may be a great comparison. And, lesson, I mean, it helps Disney if Chloe Zhao is a breakthrough Best Director winner. I'm just going to throw that out there, too. I predicted it in my 100% accurate predictions. Now, yeah. is she n- my number one? Coming out of this? No, I prefer kind of the heavily plotted fantastical tenet and Christopher Nolan's work there over something like this. That's what I prefer. Is it on the same level? It's like comparing a a steak to a bowl Bucket of, of shit. <laughs> I was gonna say bowl of soup, which is also delicious. Yeah, that's not that's in there too. <laughs> How did you immediately? Do you just want it? You had had that at the ready the whole episode. Bucket yeah, of shit. yeah. There's a shit bucket. <laughs> Do you guys know there's a shit? <laughs> Can't well, take you anywhere. <laughs> it's it is certainly a watch for both of us. Do you want to put a final grade on it, Mike? I, I might have talked myself even a point higher. I had a B plus eighty eight going into today, and all the research I did, I, I think I'm going to talk myself into a B plus eighty nine. It's in my top ten on the year, and is it going to last? In my top ten for the year, probably not. But I do. Do I blame anybody for having it in their tops and liking a strange, off the beaten path kind of movie? No, because it's it's very different in terms of narrative structure than all these other movies. Like, how do you compare this and Tenet? How? Like, I go back to that yeah. fact. So th- it's a very strange movie. I I think it's one that I'm gonna want to watch again, and I'm probably gonna watch it again in a couple of weeks at Middleburg. So gotta gotta keep studying it. I'm similar to you in the final ranking. I think you're a little higher on it than I am. I was 86, 87. I'll stand by that, that B, B-plus line. Uh, it's it's a watch. It's a good movie. It's definitely got a lot of stuff that you can study and a lot of stuff you can relate to, and we want to, as always, hear about how you did relate to it and your thoughts on the film in general. Did you see it on the New York Film Festival debut? Are you going to see it at a different film festival, online or otherwise? And if you did see it, let us know. We do want to hear your thoughts on it overall, and in general, you can leave us those, as well as any other thoughts, comments, questions concerns you may have about anything we do here in the mmo empire on our social medias we are mike mike and oscar on facebook mike mike and oscar on instagram at mm and oscar on twitter mike mike and oscar at gmail.com.com and on reddit we are available everywhere you hear podcasts and if you happen to be listening to us on the apple podcast app if you would be so kind as to go into that app and click a five-star review for us it takes about 10 seconds out of your day and would make our entire day in turn michael uh what are some words of wisdom here and what is coming next from us it is wise for us to find some new hyperbole because no longer can we say, like, I would watch that if it was just Robert Downey Jr. taking it. <laughs> you know, we said that on this show before. You're right. We are, you are absolutely right. We are men children, and we can't get past certain things that are just of the immature nature. And uh, Piaget's stage of development was never surpassed by us. Uh, we've stayed in these lowly places. So bottom line is we have to find new hyperbole. And if you're listening to this, you're one of, you're a disgusting, you know, weirdo like we are. And that's, that's the tribe we want to have. So let's, one of us. we can't one go, of us. we can't go and become nomads together, 
but we'll happily, you know, talk through this space about uh, pooping in buckets. And, and now we have to talk about something else than pooping in buckets when we want to uh, talk about films that we want to see, which is just going to rock our world. So, like I said, we need new hyperbole. What's coming next from us, Mike? We got to do Skyfall at some point. We didn't have the pre-production conversation of what the hell we're doing next. But we got French Exit will be the next New York Film Festival movie that I think we review. Uh, I'm going to see Trial of Chicago 7 soon. I don't know if you're coming with me. Um, but we, yeah, we got stuff we got to see. It's going to be a film year. Like we keep saying at the end of all these episodes lately, we are going to get something out of this year one way or another, and it's starting to shape up and take shape into a uh, an awards actual uh, conversation that we're going to have and be on top of for all of you. So, guys, as always, when reality sucks, you can come watch these movies with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make awards season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See you.